Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And I'm going to invite you to get your Bibles out and open them up to Ephesians chapter 5 as well. That's going to serve as our, our base of operations for uh, the entirety of the lesson. We'll bounce around to a couple other passages as we work along, but we'll just keep coming back to Ephesians chapter 5 as we consider some important ideas from the Word of God. You know, this past week as I was studying and preparing for, for this lesson, I, I had one of those moments of just profound clarity where it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I get to preach. I love to preach. And so for me to have the opportunity today to get to speak to people who are interested and have a sincere desire and craving for the Word of God in their lives uh, brings me great joy, it humbles me, and I am thankful to God for the opportunity that's afforded to me right now. And I want to do that in Ephesians chapter 5. Read with me, if you will, please, beginning in verse 22. In Ephesians 5, verse 22, the Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, if we're going to give an award for the most misunderstood passage in the Bible, I expect that in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, judge not that you be not judged, uh, that's probably coming in first place. Maybe Philippians chapter 4 verse 13, in the hands of a zealous, famous athlete who wants to credit Christ with strengthening him to score a touchdown on the football field, maybe that would come in a close second. But I'm going to guess that somewhere near the top of that list of misunderstood passages would have to be Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Husband is the head of the wife? What is that all about? That makes us a little bit uneasy, doesn't it? Especially in our politically correct culture. I mean, come on, husband is the head? I mean, that might work with Abraham being the head of Sarah... Or, you know, that might work for Paul Ingalls being the head of his house on the little house on the prairie, but come on. In our modern times of equality, how is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 supposed to fit and work in our world today? Gentlemen, let me just amp up that illustration a little bit. How comfortable are you walking into your home one day and announcing to everyone, I am the head of this house. Wow. Somehow just saying those words, hearing those words out loud, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? I remember several years ago, I preached a sermon on marriage, and I'm standing out in the back in the foyer, and several of the fellows, we were talking about the lesson, and one of the brothers spoke up, and he said, You know what, Josh? I am the head of my house, but my wife is the neck. She turns the head any way that she wants. Well, that got a good chuckle in the moment, but I'm concerned that maybe that brother really wasn't the head of his house like this passage describes. What exactly is this passage saying? What does it mean to have headship in the home? What exactly does that look like in marriage? This morning, we return to our preaching theme for 2020 on marriage matters. I talked to the ladies back in February about respect and about submission. And this morning, I need to talk to the fellas about male headship. 
And I do want to use Ephesians chapter 5 to help us to see the essential truths that God is calling for men to understand what headship is, and by that same token, what headship is not. And that is what this is about. This is about what God says. It's about what the Lord's verdict is. Gentlemen, we will not be judged by society's expectations. Furthermore, we won't even be judged by our wife's expectations of how we did and what she wanted from us in marriage. But you know what? A day is coming when we will stand before the ultimate tribunal. We will stand before the Lord and we will have to give an answer when He asks us, Were you the head of your house the way that I instructed you to be in my word? That's a sobering thought and a sobering question. And that's why I want to go to work today in Ephesians the 5th chapter. I want to set before you five truths about headship that men we must come to grips with. And that all begins with truth number one. And that is this, that men are never told to force their wives into submission. Did you notice that? Did you notice that the text is completely silent about that? There's nothing in verse 23 that tells a man what to do if his wife doesn't want to submit. Now, there's no question she's supposed to do that. You cannot have headship without followership. And verse 22 is most certainly the obligation that God has placed upon the wife. But, but the Bible doesn't say anything about what the man is to do if she doesn't comply with that. Verse 25 goes on to say that we are to love our wives. Okay, I'm going to do that regardless of what she does. And verse 28 says that men are going to love their wives as they do their own body. Okay, I'm going to keep doing that. Verse 31 goes on to say that husbands and wives are to cleave together. Okay, I'm going to keep on trying to do that. Verse 33 repeats that command to love your wife. But notice there's not a word said about making her get in line. There's not a single thing about forcing her to submit. And that is important for us to understand. Because it clues us into the reality that submission is an attitude of heart that must be freely given and volunteered. Can I say that again? Submission must be freely given and volunteered by the woman. And I know this... Because that's how it works in the church. Paul says so. Look at verse 24. In verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You know, Jesus actually does have the authority to make us get in line if He wants to. Jesus could forcibly make us do every single thing that He says, but... But Jesus doesn't do that, does He? We are called to follow and to submit to the headship, the lordship of Jesus, and we do that. Why? We do that because we choose to. And that is what makes this relationship between the child of God and Jesus the Christ, that's what makes it so beautiful and so powerful, is that we have willingly given ourselves to Jesus. We are willingly offering our submission to Him and to His way in absolute love and in absolute trust. Gentlemen, do you see the parallel in marriage? You can't make her follow you. Can't. Just can't. 
Wouldn't be any good if you did. Wouldn't be willingly and freely given, would it? In fact, even if you tried to force that, it's just going to provoke rebellion and anger and trouble. She chooses you. She chooses to follow you. Why? Because she loves you. And because she trusts you. And because she knows that you love her. That's just dripping all throughout this text again and again in Ephesians chapter 5. Which means that secondly, headship is a responsibility. It is not a right. You know, somehow when people read verse 23 that the husband is the head of the wife, what they get out of that is, well, God has just put the man at the top of the ladder. Look out now, I'm in charge around here. And so what do we do? Well, well, we demand that. We demand that. I want my rights. Isn't that what we do with rights? I want what I deserve. I want what's coming to me. I want my rights. Can I ask you, where does that work? Where does that work, the demanding of rights? Demanding your rights works well in, in a court of law. You know, you can sue a company or a corporation. Hey, this is what you guys said you were going to do in the contract. This was the terms of the agreement. And I am now demanding that the court enforce this contract. I am suing for what I am entitled to. Well, you know what? That might work in the courts. In fact, I worked in the court system and I know that that is how that works. But how's that going to work in a relationship? That I am demanding that you do this. How's that going to work? If they do it, what do you get? What you get is reluctant, sullen, unhappy compliance, or I guess you'll, I'll do it because you're making me do that. But that's not what we're going for here. That's not the kind of relationship that Ephesians 5 is describing here. Ephesians 5 doesn't describe, hey, you give me what I deserve. No. Ephesians 5 describes freely given voluntary submission where she chooses to yield to you. You know, maybe that's the reason that Jesus never demands worship for Himself. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? Would you hold your place in Ephesians? We'll be right back in just a moment. Look at Luke 17. In Luke the 17th chapter, you remember this is the story of the ten lepers and how Jesus cleanses and heals all ten of these guys. But only one returns. In Luke chapter 17, I'm reading here beginning in verse 15. In Luke 17 and verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. You know, Jesus had every right to command that all ten of those guys, upon being healed, that they all would fall on their face and give him thanks. But I want you to notice, you keep on reading in the text there, Jesus does not say, hey, hey, you nine guys, you get back here. You get back over here. You bow down to me. You worship me. Hey, I'm the Lord. You give me what I'm entitled to. Jesus never does that. In fact, Jesus is never harsh or arrogant or forceful. Now you bow down. You bow down or I will strike you dead. Don't you know I'm the Son of God? Jesus never does that. We can't even begin to imagine Jesus acting or talking in that way. And so gentlemen, if Jesus doesn't demand, if Jesus doesn't throw His weight around, 
If Jesus doesn't use His position to coerce and force obedience, what makes us think that we should be doing that? Particularly since Ephesians chapter 5 continually says that we need to be in a relationship with our wives the way that Christ is in a relationship with His church. Maybe if we could let go of this, well, I've got a right to then maybe the mood and the tenor and the tone of our homes could change and change for the better. You know, there are in Scripture a number of of metaphors that the Bible uses to help us understand our relationship with the Lord. One of which is an army soldiering, put on the armor of God, the battle belongs to the Lord, that kind of military imagery. That's used a few times in Scripture. But you need to know that that is never used in reference to the marriage relationship or to the home. Yes, I do realize that the term submit used in verse 22, that it is a military term and it means to yield and to rank under. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that marriage should be treated or looked at as a boot camp. Where the husband, he's the drill instructor. And he's just snapping the baton. And he's just barking out orders. This is what I want you to do. I'm the higher ranking official in this arrangement and you're just the lowly subordinate. Nowhere do we find that in Scripture. In fact, that misunderstanding may stem from a failure to grasp truth number three and that is that that headship does not mean superiority. It doesn't. Now, that's a problem for us in our society. But you should know it was a problem in Jesus' society too. Would you look in Mark chapter 10 with me please? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus' disciples had been arguing and fussing about, about greatness and about superiority. Who's going to be the top dog in this deal? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus then just confronts that line of thinking head on. In Mark 10 verse 42, Jesus called them to Him and He said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You know, in the world... Headship and leadership are granted based on who is superior, who has the most talent, who has the most ability, who's the smartest, who's the fastest, who's got the most money, who's the most popular, who's the bossiest, who can just shout the loudest and force everybody to do exactly as they want it done. And so the guy on the top, he is. He's the top dog. Biblically though, biblically that won't wash. In Scripture, men are not superior to women. I'm going to say that again. Biblically, men are not superior to women. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created woman, it says in verse 18 that God created a helper fit for the man. That idea of being a helper fit for denotes not someone who is lesser. It doesn't even denote someone who is greater. Instead, it denotes someone who is different. Different. Someone who can do things that you cannot do. And yes, there are some things that a man can do that they do a whole lot better than women do. Generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women. 
And furthermore, it's been my experience that men are far better at growing beards than women are. However, having said that, there are some things that women do a whole lot better than men. Gentlemen, if you want to have a race with a woman on who can give birth to a baby first, well, you're going to come in second in that race every single time, aren't you? We're not better. We're not superior. We are different. There are things that men can do that women cannot. There are things that women can do that men cannot. And we are men. We are granted headship, not because we're superior or we're smarter or we're better or we're stronger, but because that is the way that God made us. And because of what is in our DNA, the way that He constructed us to be. And women... Women are given their role by God. Not because they're lesser or they're inferior. No, but because that's the way that God made them. Because that's what's in their DNA. It's what is best suited for their temperament. And when those roles are both working as they ought, when each partner is doing what they're supposed to do, what God created them to do, then those roles work together. And over time, they become stronger and better and deeper And that unit is able to form what God designed, that very first institution in the Garden of Eden. It's able to be a home. A home where two people help each other throughout this life and ultimately where those same two people help each other to get to heaven. Marriage is about each partner fulfilling their God-given roles. Which brings me to this fourth truth, gentlemen. And that is that biblically... Headship is all about servant leadership. It is. It's about servant leadership. Let's get back over to Ephesians chapter 5 because I think this is just abundantly clear there. You know, what the devil wants us to believe is that Ephesians 5 is this picture of a husband and he's sitting with his feet all propped up in the recliner And he's over there and he's just smacking his hands together and he's snapping his fingers and he's barking out orders. Hey, fetch me the remote control and put my slippers on my feet. And while you're at it, bring me a cool, refreshing drink in a goblet. Yet if you look at Ephesians chapter 5 for even just a moment, then you know that can't be what Paul is talking about here. Look at verse 23 again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Let me ask you, is that how Jesus treats the church? (laughs) Fetch, bring, get, go do menial tasks. Go out there and clean the foyer with a toothbrush, why don't you? Is that how Jesus treats us? Where then did we get the conception that the man is the head of the home And what that means is is that means that he can exercise power to get what he wants. And everybody serves him. And every decision is made to please him. Where did we get that? Actually, I think I know where we got that idea. We got that idea from corporate America. Think about it. In corporate America, the CEO, the top dog, he generally does get what he wants, doesn't he? And oftentimes, he is doing that at the expense of everyone who is under his charge. Why? Because he wants to have it his way. That CEO model of leadership, it's all about self. 
It's all about everybody slaving for him while he enjoys the corner office and the private jet. It's about everybody doing for me. But does that sound like Ephesians chapter 5 at all? Jesus is not the CEO of the church. In fact, if headship is all about perks and privileges, then Jesus never would have even left heaven in the first place. Jesus had the corner office in heaven. When you're in heaven, it doesn't get any better than that. All the privileges, all the perks, all the worship, all of those things, that's going on in heaven. And Jesus set all of that aside. And He came here. Not to improve His life, but to help us. Can I have the rest of that Mark 10 passage now? In Mark chapter 10, we read a moment ago in verses 42 through 44, how Jesus told the disciples there that whoever would be great among you must be your servant. I'm going to remind you that Jesus didn't just teach that. Jesus did that, verse 45 of Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The reality is, Jesus really did deserve all of the perks and all of the privileges and so much more. He should have been carried around in one of those big royal thrones. He should have had somebody fanning Him. He should have had people feeding Him grapes every moment of every day. Jesus is deserving of all of that and so much more. But the consummate picture of Jesus is in John the 13th chapter, where instead of ordering the disciples to line up and to come and start bowing down and washing His feet, instead Jesus gird Himself in a towel and He began to wash their dirty feet. Jesus set forth for us the consummate example of servant leadership. Can you imagine that? That the head put the followers ahead of himself. Instead of browbeating, instead of throwing around his weight, Jesus humbled himself, sacrificed himself in order to put others first. You know, we worry all the time and we say all the time about who's wearing the pants in the family. What Jesus wants to know is who's wearing the towel in the family. That's what Jesus wants to know. Is the head of the family serving like Christ served? All of which brings me to this fifth and final truth this morning. And that is that there are, there are limits in headship. There are limits in headship. You know, part of the world's conception of leadership is that the leader can just do whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and nobody can ever say otherwise. He's just not accountable to anybody. These CEO types, they do whatever they want, and so as a result, that idea kind of gets transported over into the home where the husband, well, he just has free reign. He has absolute power. But of course, that kind of thinking is completely false, isn't it? That doesn't tie with anything that we've noticed in the Bible thus far. There's all sorts of limits on headship in Scripture. Can I show you just a couple? Look in Colossians 3. 
In Colossians chapter 3, here's a passage that in many ways is is parallel to what we've been reading here in Ephesians. In Colossians chapter 3, look in verse 19. In Colossians 3 and verse 19, Paul says, Their husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What's that sound like to you? That sounds like to me a limit. There's a limit on how the husband can act and what he can do with his wife. How about in 1 Peter chapter 3? In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter spends the first part of this chapter talking to wives, but in verse 7 he now gives some instruction to husbands. In 1 Peter 3 and in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. While headship certainly does include decision-making and the responsibility to make final decisions, that does not mean that the husband is unaccountable to anybody and that he can just do as he pleases. No, when you look at Colossians chapter 3, Where's the tyranny of the king up in the castle just doing whatever he wants? It's it's not in there, is it? Or where's the, I don't have to listen to what you say, your opinion, your ideas aren't important. Where's that in 1 Peter chapter 3? Where the Bible commands showing honor and understanding toward the wife. Or even as you go back to Ephesians chapter 5. And you look at all the things that Paul says there about how headship is to be exercised. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 28. In verse 28 when he says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Paul says you treat your wife as you treat yourself. If you can't make yourself do it, then you can't make her do it. But of course, maybe the greatest limitation, the greatest check, if you will, so that husbands don't just run wild and let this power go to their heads, is what's said in verse 23, and then it's repeated again in verse 25, and it's repeated again in verse 29. As Christ loved the church. The greatest limitation on our headship, men, is that we must lead like Christ. That means we'll have to take on the form of a servant ready to sacrifice so that we can lead our wives and lead our families in the way that they ought to go. And so what would happen if a man came home from work and he said, I want everybody here to know I am the head of this house. What would happen? Well, in all probability, that's just not going to go over very well. Something about that just kind of reeks of arrogance, and it probably is going to provoke all kinds of rivalry and mistrust. But what if, on the other hand, what if that man comes home and he opens up his Bible and he reads Ephesians chapter 5 with his beloved And he says, honey, I want to lead you like Christ leads the church. Honey, I want to give myself up for you. I want to serve you. That's a whole different conversation, isn't it? And in fact, it may be a conversation 
that is long overdue in many of our homes. Can I just close with a quick word of application? First of all, to ladies, especially to young ladies. Young ladies who plan to one day say, I do, to that special someone. Ladies, you need to be making sure and you need to get locked in right now. You need to expect that you're going to have a man who loves you and leads you like Christ loves and leads the church. Otherwise, otherwise you are setting yourself up for failure of the very worst kind. And then men, and especially I'm going to say to our young men, future grooms-to-be, You right now need to feel the weight of this heavy mantle that God calls you to bear. Because if you and I, if we do not rise to the challenge of Ephesians the 5th chapter, then not only will our marriages suffer, but one day we will have to give an answer before Almighty God for why we failed to exercise biblical headship in our home. And may God help us if we find ourselves in that circumstance. Can we go to God in prayer and ask Him to help us so that that is not the case? Let's pray about that. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we are sobered this morning by the power of Your Word, and we are awed by the example of Your precious Son. Father, we thank You for the clarity with which You have defined our roles in the marriage relationship. And we are challenged by the expectations that you have placed upon us all. Father, we are praying a special blessing right now upon us as husbands that we may have not only a better understanding of your word, but furthermore, Father, that we would have a zeal and an earnestness to appropriate these truths in our lives. Help us, Lord, to lead our wives and our families in the same way that Jesus leads the church. And we ask you, Father, to forgive us in whatever ways that we've fallen short of meeting that great standard. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for his willingness to sacrifice and to serve on our behalf so that we might be brought into a right relationship with you. And it is through his glorious name that we offer this prayer. And amen.